the Dynamic Deputies. Hello and welcome to the Dynamic Deputies podcast, run by two deputy heads living on opposite sides of the country. Now, Steve, I'm delighted to say that today we're going to be returning to a theme that we've spoken about before. And it's this concept of having a human first approach to the work that we do. Absolutely, Russell. On the podcast, we spend a lot of time interrogating classroom practice and reflecting on our leadership decisions. But all of this work is actually meaningless unless it's built on the foundation of true human connection. Absolutely. And in that vein, Steve, we want to start this episode by reminding our listeners of what amazing people they are. Each and every day, you make such a difference to the young people you serve. Absolutely, Russell. Now, we've got the perfect person here to remind us just how important our work with young people is. We're pleased to say Ellie Chappell joins us today, and Ellie has a passion and interest in equality and inclusion for all. As we'll hear more about in a moment, in 2014, Ellie's eldest daughter lost her vision as a result of a misunderstanding about her disability. After this, Ellie sold her business to come home and begin a new journey. Ellie's TED Talk is truly inspirational, and how we first learned about her daughter Ella's story. Ellie, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thank you very much, Stephen Russell. It's really great to be here, and I really appreciate you asking me on the show. Oh, it's our pleasure. Thank you for making the time to talk to us. So for our listeners who might not know the story Steve alluded to there, Ellie, please could you give us a description of your life prior to 2014 and how things fundamentally shifted for you as a result of the events that took place at that time? Uh, Well, for those who haven't seen the TEDx, back then our lives are quite different Mm. I didn't really pay any attention to disability if I'm honest I didn't think about it I didn't consider her massively different she'd always been in our world the way she was so that was just the way it was and when she went to school I just assumed people would help us to help her to reach her potential which I could see she had loads of potential but there were specific ways to teach her And that's what I thought would happen. I'd never heard of the word restraint before. I didn't know what it was. And I think I was really shocked when I found out. Because obviously her behavior shifted quite rapidly. So I had a child who was declining quite quickly. And I kept sort of saying, she's different, she's different, she's different. There's something different. And then when it got to a point where it was really, really obvious that this was not going to get any better. It was only going to get worse and worse and to the point where I just thought, you know, this this train is going to crash. It's literally coming. That's when I got that shock and I, I went into school and obviously worked out that she was being managed in a way that I would never have done. I'd never have done that to her. And that's not how we treated her at home. And she couldn't tell me it was happening. And I think my worst fear was always you know, my mum said, you can do this. And there's just no way I would have done because that's not how we didn't need to do that. Mm-hmm. We've never had to restrain her. And I think that's just because we come at it from a very different angle. So back then, I think everything was radically different to how it is now, just because I think I had quite a naive view of how things were, maybe. But I think I just also expected everybody w- would treat her in the same way we did. And, and it's not what was going on. Um, I think that was naivety, but also, yeah, it was shocking at the time. So very different to where we are now because because of that sort of journey and, and what happened. It then put us into a space for a number of years. I was very angry about the situation. I was very, I didn't trust anybody. I didn't want any hurt anybody. 
you know, around her unless they were really going to be what they said. And it's like trauma with anything. It was like a massive ripple effect. It doesn't just affect her. It affected all of us. We were so shocked, you know, all of us. And we were picking up the pieces and you've got a child that's not sleeping and and you don't really know how you're going to put it back together to be able to go forward. And then, like I say in the talk, I had a, a moment, a light bulb moment when I, I realised that even though I was really cross about it, it was like pedalling on a bike in the corner of a room, getting really frustrated. I was going absolutely nowhere. Ella was cracking on with life and, I, and I'm too busy being cross. So it was like, you know, come on, she's the one it happened to. You need to do something about it. What can we do to to make sure it doesn't happen to anyone else? Or what do we need to learn about? Or how can we help others? Because obviously there's nothing we can do about it now, but we can make sure it going forward it's positive and the Ella's, you know, the other Ella's out there don't have to go through that. So that's when I started thinking about things differently. But also she took us on a journey in terms of, of what she taught us and how we learned how to be with her and work with her. And it was very relational focused. I think actually at the time then, it was probably slightly ahead of its time. And it wasn't for everybody. But coming from such a punitive space, it was the direct opposite to that. And, and it had to be because there's just no way anything punitive would have helped her recover from that or us so we had to go very relational we had to go back into like connection we had to go back into communication we had to think about things upside down right to left we had to try lots of things and and we ultimately had to learn how to be the absolute center of calm in a storm of chaos Mm. because when she had her triggers and when she got upset the last thing you do is meet her where she is because it just is only going to go one way and that's up. So it's the challenge to learn how to do it differently. So we so we develop lots and lots of different things. And I think we're really grateful for the journey in a way, although it was really hard. It's taught us so much and it's brought us to a place where everything we've learned is because of Ella's journey and what Ella's uh, how she copes with things and how a child with so little words communicates in such a huge way and affects so many people and the power there's power in that I can't really explain it you have to experience it but she's changed lots of lives and everybody who comes into contact with her is impacted by her and it's because she's got the essence of, of a beautiful human spirit she's not constrained by anything she doesn't worry about the stuff we worry about she's got this ability to be present every single day in the moment all day long and we spend years trying to do that and develop it you know whether it's yoga or whatever she's got it nailed <laughs> and I know lots of kids like Ella who have it nailed because they just don't have to engage with the noise around them in the way we do. So they're not distracted by worrying about tomorrow. And they're not thinking, I don't think she's someone who ever holds grudges. She doesn't look back. She's always now. She's like, what's happening today? I want to enjoy today. And she enjoys it to the absolute. I mean, I don't know anybody who enjoys life quite as much as that. She's just got this ability to enjoy everything, every minute. And it's it makes you go along with that. But it really does make you... I think one of the things that we found out was just how much it makes you a reflective practitioner. So reflection is enormous. It makes you think about it a lot. Mm. What did you see? And when you saw it, did you believe it, by the way? Because actually she can't demonstrate to you three times something that you need to tick off a tick list to score it against she's achieved this. 
you might do it once and you're going to have to trust that you saw what you saw yeah. and you heard what you heard and go with it because she's not going to demonstrate it verbally or whatever if how you need it to be in say an assessment or something like that so a lot of it is like walking with her but on quite a fine line and there's a lot of trust involved there's a lot of relational integrity involved and it's very much focused on those human aspects of life education that we sometimes I think struggle with sometimes I think get sidelined in favor of we need the evidence mm -hmm. it's like well this is a child that's not going to give you what you want very easily and there's many of them it doesn't mean she can't do it and it doesn't mean we shouldn't try and it doesn't mean we shouldn't have high expectations mm -hmm. but it does mean it's going to take way more time a lot more um, thought on your part and a lot of learning on our part as well. You know, can we communicate in our language for a start? Do we understand sign? Do we understand nonverbal communication? Do we understand gesture? Have you got the time for that? Probably most people would say no. So yeah, it's from where we were to where we are, enormous journey, huge. It's really powerful because it actually reminds you of what's actually important when you've been so close to something like that. Yeah. It's you know it, it really does bring into sharp focus what, what's it all for and what's it all about and she's made us really brave I think and um, not being without challenge to do that and I think there's so many kids like her mm. uh, and they get lost and they don't get heard and and these kids are really important. Ellie if I can come in there briefly before yeah. Steve asks the next question What's beautiful when you talk about Ella is you go straight to the spirit of who she is as a person. You see beyond labels, you see beyond what she's capable of doing physically or not and so on. Do you mind just for context for those listeners who don't know much about Ella, what are the, the physical challenges or the things she's up against or those changes that happened in 2014? I just, yeah. I think that context for some people listening would be really great if you don't mind. Yeah, and it's good you say that because you see, I don't think about it. This is my whole point. Yeah. I don't think about it. And this is where people are like looking at me and I'm thinking, mm. but this was half the issue when we went into a special school. Mm. We didn't think about those things because no. she was just Ella. Absolutely. But I forgot. And then I learned very quickly that actually she's a child with many labels. She is uh, congenitally deafblind. So she was deafblind from birth. She has a very rare syndrome called Wagger syndrome. She has lots of complexities with her health, her mobility, and she's blind, obviously. She wasn't um, up until that point. She had enough functional vision to, she was, she was the kid I couldn't catch. <laughs> <laughs> she was very curious. Mm. And uh, <laughs> yeah, she was my challenge. Like literally, she just was a runner. So it's very different for her now. Not, you know, that's, that's still something I think about, mm. not to think about, um, try not to think too much about, but those things sort of tug at your heart sure. now and again you just so I have a brief look and then I, I look forward and think do you know what you know she's she's where she is now and she's in a really good place so she's got a lot of uh, labels and gets referred to as being complex whatever you want complex to be I have different views on that word complex because yeah. I think all humans are <laughs> oh, yes. yeah you know, like, why is it just her? It's all of us. Mm -hmm. And this is this whole, like, we put her in a in a box and we say she's this and she's that and she's the other. And I'm like, so many people. If you dug under the surface, we've all got a stack of things going on. Mm -hmm. I think it's just Ella is still at that sharp end of a wedge. Yeah. Think of it like that. She's at the sharp mm -hmm. end where 
we don't know enough and it's a bit scary and it kind of just needs to be called something and put somewhere because yeah. then yeah. it's in the com complex books and that means if we don't know how to do it or we get it wrong it's okay because it's complex and and I'm like we've got to dig into this box at some point and learn how to do this a lot better because there are so many people coming through now uh, and the range of complexity isn't growing it's always been there we're just much better at spotting it and we're much better accepting that all humans are diverse this is not just about Ella this is about all of us and years ago we never talked about these children but they've always been there mm. we, we've approached it differently I'm quite sure a lot of the children I went to school with who were always being taken out of class or whatever yeah. I want I now think you know we well, just don't know because you know I was the deaf child in school but nobody nobody ever did anything with my deafness right so I didn't know why I was so tired in lessons all day and now I'm like oh right so this makes sense like because my son's deaf and my daughter's deaf blind and those things now I sort of think well we didn't know about it it wasn't talked about it's just assumed I'd get on with it it's just we're better at spotting it maybe and we are starting to widen our lens a bit to accept it more just find the structures aren't quite stretched enough yet so the mm. thinking might be a bit wider but the structural setup is still quite small and narrow at times that's where there needs to be a bit of a system overhaul really because this isn't going to go down it's going mm. to go up because up is where it should go because that means we're really accepting how diverse we are but it needs some support doesn't it from top down really because yeah. things are going to have to shift in terms of you know nobody expects teachers to be able to do it all and, and nobody can do it within a building that isn't accommodating people there are things that you need Ellie when, when you're talking there I'm, I'm thinking about the parents who have had to fight hard to get their voices heard. And, and Russell and I have seen in our careers firsthand just how hard some parents have had to fight within the education system to, to be heard about what their children need. Um, what do you see as some of the main causes of this within our education system? For me, I don't think our education system is up to date. Mm. And I think it needs to allow everybody a seat at the table. Simple. And, and for that to happen, it does require looking at why we can't include everybody and what, what, are, the, what are the things that individual schools are up against. Because some schools are doing it really well. Um, my children go to a primary school near us and it's the most inclusive place I've ever come across. Mm. And there are lots of children there that other schools won't take. And the head never says no. I just think it's amazing. And, and the, there are no people attached to people so you can't really tell who's what or what you know it's blended throughout and it's such an amazing culture but that's a phenomenal leader in that school who is leading it front and center and saying this is how we're doing it and we are going to and holding that space confidently as a leader and being able to empower her team to also do that and take in children who've got a multitude of different things going on whether it's trauma it's adoption fostering whatever it, it isn't just special needs it's about everybody mm. they've shown me that that's it. I mean it's just so possible mm. but I know it's a it's a very particular kind of head who is you know doors wide open you can go in at any point super supportive I'm like how do you manage this with all these parents <laughs> but it's I don't know that's done and then um, my son's just gone to secondary 
And it's very different, I think, in his first term. He's gone from that very pastoral primary setting to secondary and he's had a huge shock Mm. because he's never heard kids talk in the way they talk he's never experienced language like some of the language and like it's a very fast learning curve for an 11 year old huge to go from primary to secondary like that and yet I have a brilliant relationship with this form teacher they're doing the best they can and it's it's all for me it's really it's about really good communication because essentially if you can't change the big things the little things are the big things you know how you talk to parents whether you include them it's just a call sometimes to say I didn't manage to get x done but I'm just letting you know Mm. that I couldn't get it done but I'm going to come it's just closing off in a world where your child's the one that you've got a million professionals working with you and lots of medical input and all the rest of it when somebody doesn't do something they said it can be catastrophic mm-hmm. it's it's like just one more thing on the pile that actually was the straw that broke the camel's back yeah and I say it's like the human things like dropping you a note to say I know I said I'd come back today and haven't managed to do but I'm just letting you know you've just closed the loop you see it's just like the communication is so important to help people feel listened to heard less worried a lot of it is stemming from just sheer worry about their child you know it's it's a very different world when you're up against it from day one because your child's deemed so different can I come in there because you've said two things that really resonate with me in the the school I work in now which I'm really proud to say I feel is an incredibly inclusive place you've talked about the power of communication and and I think what you're saying there is a school where they're for you you know they're for you and your child there's not a it's us and them. We're, 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 this is teamwork here. We're going to make magic happen if we work together. And yeah. you also talked about, I think, principle in terms of that leader who has real values that they're not going to lose sight of despite the pressures they've got around them because there are pressures. And I think we'll come back to some of that in a minute about those uh, behaviours of some school leaders that are as a result of that pressure, perhaps. But you're absolutely right. If you're principled, if you care, if that communication's good, it's amazing. And you know, shout out to my Senko at my school, um, Natalie, who's just amazing at working with parents and making sure they feel heard and we see parents come to our school with that initial it can be interpreted as hostility because they're so frustrated and exasperated by how much they've tried to have their child's needs met and you can it can put your back up if you're not careful and you can be really defensive but actually what she does so beautifully is she hears them and says I get it I get why you're worried I get why you're upset and that can-do attitude of, all right, let's make this happen. Let's see what we can do. And immediately, what I see time and time again when families come to our school who have had this tricky past with trying to have their children's needs met, I see this kind of melt away as they realise that they can trust us. And I think that frustration or even anger sometimes, it comes from just feeling so exhausted early, doesn't it? Of just, I've not been heard. I've been, I've been knocking this door for so long. And now finally someone's hearing it. And I just think that's... I think that's an incredible privilege for schools to do that work and to make sure people feel heard. What you said is so important, though. It's, it's dropping the stem and us stuff mm. because at the end of the day, it's not going to help anyone. You know, parents are probably the most underused, massive resource to a school that there is. Yeah. And if, and if you can ally with them, which is what my children's primary does, I think, really well, mm. you get so much back. 
and and people feel better and things happen more quickly so you know whenever there's a disruption or a huge blow up you can bet there's a main event underneath the pile at the bottom that started it yeah and it can be that big and by the time you've got to it a volcano's gone off now that's because there's been no usually communication to actually get you know get straight in there look at what the problem is return the phone call could have started it you know just yeah the anxiety levels already heightened and high and i think post covid and during covid they were for everybody much more so mm. and so we're dealing with very anxious people all over everybody's mm. feeling it and interestingly you know we've all just walked through a time that i would say is very reflective of my daughter's whole life that mm. so we've lived it for two years and we didn't like it and she's lived like that for 15. Mm. That level of two-year stress and heightened anxiety. Now imagine that for 15 years because right. the world doesn't accept who you are. Yeah. The wonderful um, Jazz Ampafar said that um, as a child, she was a chaos navigator was her phrase. Yeah. And she said, I remember we spoke to her just as this was all kicking off, you know, the pandemic. And she said, now everyone's a chaos navigator. And I think that's exactly the point you're making there. Yeah, well, it's, when we were talking about restrictions, I was saying, you know, for people like Ella and people that are still, I mean, children, young people coming through the system now, who may end up in those awful assessment treatment units. We're talking about, we're restricting liberties here. You know, we're talking about from a young age, we might be doing it. We're talking about restrictive practice in education. We have this constant debate about should we, shouldn't we, what's the seclusion room, what's not. But, you know, we've experienced restriction of our liberties for the last two years, and we really haven't liked it. And I think, you know, yeah, but for people who have even less of a voice, this has been going on their entire life and it's just given us I think we're at the point now where we're at a really good point to reflect and think about what we want to take forward and what would we do differently and what can we do differently because in a way we've been given the opportunity to do lots differently if we want to in light of the fact we've changed so much so quickly and radically and we've seen that lots of children have benefited from being out of the school environment and a lot have really missed it so there's been like it doesn't work for everybody the way it mm. works does it so it's all about you know we talk about personalization uh, not normalization that's a Damien Milton quote but it's so true for everybody we've all got different needs and I think this is a really key point in time to actually reflect and think about what what can we do really well with families and how could we get them to ally and how can we work on it together and because they are really willing really willing yeah. and it's a resource free to you it's not something you've got to pay for because they want their children to do well in a school that they think's great and yeah i often think everything starts with a really good human conversation yeah just a really simple conversation and then you build the bricks and the trust it takes time but it's not rocket science no. I'm just reflecting there on a little anecdote I share in the book we've written that's out in April and I reflect on the fact that in my very first year of teaching when I have very limited understanding of additional needs and certainly things like autism hadn't been trained sufficiently around that I had a girl in my class whose mum was telling me 
she's really distressed in the evenings and she's really struggling. And I just didn't get it at first. I just didn't get it because I just saw this quiet child that seemed compliant and okay in school. And it wasn't until I I first experienced a a bit of a meltdown in school that I went, oh my goodness, like, why did I not listen to her properly? She was telling me this. And I think what you're saying there is these are the experts on these children. They've known them since birth. They've seen their development. We have to hear them when they're telling us what those needs are. And uh, that was a steep learning curve for me. Mm. Yeah. Ellie, while I would like to think that many aspects of inclusion have definitely improved during my own career within education, I know Russell and I, for example, have seen or we've heard from our Facebook group and Twitter, there's evidence of things that would still upset and anger us and other people. For example, it still seems to be the case that a few schools may be trying to put parents off children with certain needs so they can't cater for them and perhaps even points them towards other local schools. Is this something you still hear a lot about and what are your thoughts on that? I think that people need to feel more confident. I think the leadership's critical because I think if you've got a leader like, say, for example, my daughter's primary head, there's nothing she couldn't do and that she wasn't going to turn anybody away. But that's not everybody. And I think her confidence is what led the school. So it gave the teachers in the school the confidence to try to get it wrong, for it to be okay to get it wrong. If a child needs to leave the building, run through the playing field, it wasn't, an, you know, nobody was red flagging because there was an agreed way. Uh, there's going to be a process with this child. It's going to be a path. It's going to take time. You are not going to get them to sit at a desk in three days and you might never get them to sit at a desk but we'll work out what works best for them if we walk with them and it's imperative schools and teachers are empowered to do that and I think that takes really courageous leadership and it shouldn't be courageous Mm. because it's actually just human and and I would say at the moment maybe considered I mean I think it's leadership that's ahead of its game that's willing to step into a space that people don't really want to step into I mean it's not, I would say, a space where you're encouraged to. So it, it is those people that really care and really want to make a difference. Mm. And I can understand why it's not for everybody. But where are these children going to go? Mm-hmm. You know, they're not going to decrease in number. And eventually, there'll be way more than there are now. So where are we putting them? Because we used to do this. If you look at disability history... There's a, a wonderful disability history project that um, Ben Newmark and Sean Webster have done. But if you look at it and see some of the things they're talking about, it's kind of like we're doing a modern day version with just different words sometimes. So how far have we actually come? How far have we got to go? Quite a way. But I do think people are moving. I do think the tide is turning. I do think people are feeling more confident to try coming up with creative ways to support people, being less concerned about what that looks like, being able to present that when Ofsted come round and say, well, we are achieving. And actually being able to courageously say, where did you want me to put these children? Because, you know, they don't get a life or a chance at life if somebody doesn't give them one. Your school could change their entire pathway. I always look back now and wish that I had sent my Ella to the local primary because the head was going to build an entire disabled loo outside covered area for her the lot and I was talked into special school and I wish I'd sent her to mainstream 
because actually it would have been difficult, it would have been hard, but she'd have been treated differently like Ella. There was less fear about it. It was, you know, where my other kids were going to go. So I just, I do think there's a huge move towards people trying to be much more inclusive. I think we need to remember that all of us are totally different. There is not one person on this planet that's the same as the next. So I'm not really sure what the case for inclusion is because it means all of us. It does literally mean all of us. And these children need people in their life who've got the guts to do it. And, and once you've done it once, somebody's watching and they will do it because you tried it. And this is how we teach each other. This is how we broaden it out. This is how we make it okay for people to not fear. I think there's a huge amount of fear. And I get that. I've watched people come to work with my daughter who maybe don't know her as well. And they are scared because they don't know her and they don't know what she's going to do. And they don't know how to talk to her. And it takes time. You know, it really does. And it takes a lot of time. You've got to be able to learn sign language. You've got to be able to um, connect with her. She's very clear about who she likes and who she doesn't. And, you know, if bye-bye, you better go. Just go. Like, literally leave the room. <laughs> I, I love it. I wish I could do it. She's like, bye. <laughs> and everyone's like, you need to go. You just need to go. <laughs> it's like, don't ask her twice. And then, you know, things like door means leave the room. <laughs> I get that a lot. <laughs> so funny. She's so 15. Door. That's like, go away, mother. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. So, you know, she's hilarious. But mm. it's like... It is a walk with Ella and it's a constant back and forth. But what I learn about myself, about my fears, about how to do it better, because she really pushes me out of my comfort zone. And we need that. We really need to be pushed out of our comfort zones. We need for it not to be easy. Because I tell you what, if you learn how to do, with, do it with children, you can then do it with the adults around you as well. Because everybody then treats each other nicely yeah other than you know a lot of the stuff we do with adults we're teaching children not to do i do a lot of work in the field what am i going to say it's cool because everybody's disagreeing this at the minute behaviors of concern nobody likes the word challenging behavior anymore i would say it's stress or distress mm. so when somebody's in a state of distress or stress the last thing you do is approach it i would say logically angry because they are going to get angry with me being angry. So I've done that in the face of being charged at, having my hair pulled, you know, like I have literally had it at the extreme end. And if you can brave your fear and stay calm, you get a much faster calm down. It does take some nerve, but it works because you're just refusing to go up there. And if you don't go up there, they can't, they eventually have to come down. And it works. And I think. We've got to remember that when we're talking to one another as adults as well, because it's the same principle. So all this stuff we talk about with kids, we've got to start doing it with one another as well. Do you know, that is such a beautiful answer. And the bit that really resonated with me, or what it made me think about was, as a deputy head in a school, I get to do a lot of pastoral work. I, I do often scoop up that child that's in distress. And the best bit about my job that I love about that is I'm still meeting children after all these years who are unlike any other child I've ever met before they've got an aspect to their personality or a quirk or a, a a characteristic that I've just never seen before and I'm like so this is interesting and <laughs> and that kind of it excites me and I think for some people 
as you said, that scares them because the strategy, their go-to strategy that maybe works for 75% of kids, oh, suddenly doesn't work here today. And it's happened to me recently with a wonderful new pupil that's joined us a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was watching them playing outside today and and uh, one of our midday sort of supervisors that was out there, I could see them having an interaction that was maybe starting not to go so well. And uh, th- this member of staff was brilliant because she came over to me for a little bit of support. And I said, okay, look, I'm still getting to know this pupil as well. But I've just found this works really well or like exactly what you're saying the calmer you go the better she responds just have a play with that for a minute and she was so open to wanting to do that and get it right for this child like, oh I didn't know she needed it like this or I needed to talk to her like this and like five minutes later they're giggling together she's got her to do the things she needed her to do and it was just by having that little bit of openness that she needed to approach things differently than her kind of go-to strategy and we've made that child feel safe and secure. And I think, you know, my next question was actually going to be with this phrase you use all the time, flip the narrative, which is what you're talking about there. It's about shifting the way we look at uh, kind of diversity in our, in our society. And you've talked about some of the most amazing ways that enriches society. And you, you've talked about the way we treat each other and how some of the characteristics we develop as human beings as we become kinder and uh, more thoughtful in the way we treat each other. Are there any other ways you think society is enriched by fully embracing diversity? Well, I think it's our reality. So we get closer every day to embracing our actual reality if we do it. It just isn't something new. It's always been part of us. We just, we didn't have a word for it. We, did, we weren't looking at it. Mm. We have to look at it now. And if you look at all the minorities who have struggled to be heard, I would say this one's the last taboo to break. It really is. Because it's the hardest. Because it, this requires you to really get out of your comfort zone. I mean, it requires you to think about access and arrangements and whether you're using alt on your visuals and I mean accessibility for a start is huge it's not actually difficult and it's super helpful for everyone else because we're all going to get old and the majority of disability is acquired so it could be any of us so wouldn't that be useful to have a handrail and accessible strategies and etc etc from where we need them yeah it's planning for the future anyway but it's it's deemed to be such a yikes how are we gonna go there And it's like, well, you're going to have to, because this is the reality. This is not new. It is getting more prominent. Mm. And you can sit there and say all day and all night, these kids need to go over there. But there eventually will be so many of those children. You're going to build hundreds of schools. It's crazy because it's what we are. We are diverse. We're all diverse. It's making sure that we can share that space really well and I think thinking about our language is really important that's not me talking about trendy stuff because I'm not apparently according to my kids (laughs) Um, but that's me talking about being thoughtful and how we talk about people and children and what we say in front of them I heard once at a conference group of people discussing a child who wanted to be an astronaut now it was deemed funny for him to say that because he was deafblind. I was fuming, absolutely livid. I just thought, what gives you the right to decide what they're going to be? And why shouldn't they have an aspiration to be an astronaut? You've got no idea what the future holds. Mm -hmm. And they might not get to be an astronaut one day, but they might work for NASA. You've got no idea. But if you're going to close their world down now, they've got no chance. They're never even going to get to the end of the road. So 
just because somebody maybe doesn't use words, maybe doesn't use your language, you know, doesn't mean they don't understand what you're saying or how you feel about them. Mm. And that affects their life for a very long time. We have no idea what people can be. And if we lift them a little and a little bit more, then maybe they could be something they never understood. They could be. It's just endless. And it, it's really turning it round. You know, turn it upside down, shake it up, make it modern. You know, we're supposed to be in 2022 here. That was a brilliant, beautiful response, Ellie. Thank <laughs> you for that. Honestly, amazing. It's all right. Um, as a final point, I'm really interested in how you perceive success. And you've touched upon it, actually, throughout the, the whole podcast. But in your TED Talk, particularly near the end, you make the point that we often hold everyone up against that same measuring stick. Mm. So what are your ideas and views on success? Having gone through this beautiful journey with Ella. I think success is totally individual. Mm. So it's whatever you would deem successful. I think for my daughter and my other children, success is feeling completely valued, that they belong, that people care, that they have a place in society, in school. Their worth is acknowledged, mm. whatever they do. It doesn't have to be massive things. It's the small stuff is the big stuff. Yeah. For my daughter, it's, I think what she, she values, um, um, all of my, I think my children all value very, very much is um, the relationships in their lives and, and where they sit and do they understand where they sit and feeling safe with that and that this is their place. Like I have a place in this world and it actually means something. Mm. That's important for everybody. doesn't matter who you are. You've got to feel like you belong. Mm. I mean, success in other ways. I have friends who focus very much on academic success. And yeah, I'm really pleased if my kids achieve academically. But actually, they can learn that stuff later if they don't learn it now. Mm. But I would be heartbroken if they never recovered because they were the mental health suffered or, you know, that that those things are critical, you know, your health and your mental health. I think things that used to matter to me don't so much now, probably because of my experience with Ella. I'm not saying this is for everybody, but I think I just value uh, more simple things and I want them to be healthy and I want them to be happy and I want them to feel loved and safe and be succeeding in life for the individual they are and that they're accepted for that well that sounds like a wonderful mm. definition of success to me so thank you ellie and what a great place to end the podcast we've really enjoyed talking to you and i've certainly been incredibly inspired by hearing you speak oh. thanks so much for your time today thank you very welcome it's lovely to meet you both thank you so much for having me on really honored the dynamic deputies